I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. Today, I have a guest in the studio. I'm very excited to introduce Gail Julian, who is a local herbalist. She teaches at the California School of Herbal Studies and has been in private practice as an herbalist in Sebastopol for about 18 years. And Gail and I are going to talk about um, herbs and health and all sorts of other intersecting issues. Gail, welcome to the studio. Oh, good morning. I hope everybody had a good night's sleep. I do too. But now they have to wake up and listen to us. (laughs) (laughs) So I was so excited to have you come onto this show. And, um, we were talking a little bit beforehand about the mm-hmm. different the different um, ways that sleep intersects with all the other concerns of our health. I know it's just it, it's insomnia or sleep problems or you know even issues around whether or not you dream. I think intersect with the you know the wellness of a person in an overall way. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually have, you know, look and evaluate people from a constitutional perspective. So insomnia may just be one aspect, one sliver, although maybe it's the presenting thing because it's driving them wild and they're finding they don't have energy throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Or it may even be something that just sort of comes out as a, a really secondary or third level issue in sort of how they're feeling about their overall wellness. So when you talk about a constitutional basis, maybe you could just back up and give listeners a little explanation about what right, that means. Right, right, right. I mean, you know, it's, it, it, we come to a place of uh, how we are in our lives based on kind of the way our, our uh, nervous system, our endocrine system, our digestive system, all of the different body systems, how they're interfacing with the stress patterns that we have in our life. And there are kind of ways in which the wheels fall off for each of us. Mm-hmm. And so constitutional herbalism is sort of getting those patterns, getting that, you know, this is the kind of person who's going to be more of a type A, type more of a fight or flight kind of person, more sympathetic, dominant in their autonomic nervous uh-huh. system, perhaps is not going to have a good digestive function as opposed to this other person who really digests well and is a calmer person Mm -hmm. you you have types of people and i think one of the things as a practitioner and as an educator that i'm really interested in doing is you know allowing people to discover you know what kind of patterns they have Mm -hmm. for them to see how the insomnia piece is really just a piece of this whole way that they are and then we can begin to sort of balance their constitution Mm -hmm. and you begin to see some of the more uh disturbing or uncomfortable symptomology fall away as a as a result of kind of maybe even looking away from the burning fire that's happening in the particular body system herbs are excellent at stimulating body deficiencies so the function of the digestive tract, for instance, can be stimulated to Im- be improved for there to be more digestive enzymes on board. And pharmaceutical drugs are really good at reducing excesses. Right. So we have to look to our strengths as herbalists. And in some cases, that means that in a person who has like a flaring, awful, ugly thing happening in one body system, we need to actually kind of look away from that and find the body systems that aren't doing 
their job, aren't coming up to snuff and use our herbs to bring those up. And what often happens is those body systems are encouraged to perform better. The kind of the ugly stuff comes down. Mm -hmm. And it's not until we've kind of got the body systems more better balanced that we can kind of see, oh, what, no, so what's still flaring up? So then if somebody were to come to you and say, I have, I, I cannot stay asleep. I go to sleep at, at you know, at 10 o'clock every night. And then at 1 a.m. I'm up and I'm up until four. Help me, please. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Well, I mean, um, I know that you've talked about this before on the air, but, you know, it's interesting to look at what are the triggers for insomnia. It's one of those issues where you really have to sort of say, okay, what is the pattern? You know, is it that you can't go to sleep? Is it that you can't stay asleep? Is it that you wake up, you know, at 4 a.m. and then you're done, you know? (laughs) Or is it that you're not really sure, you feel like you're in and out, and then you wake up in the morning and you're just not rested whatsoever? Mm -hmm. So sorting through that, somebody says that they have insomnia. Now, your particular case of the 1 o'clock person, so obviously they have no problem going off to sleep. Right. And so that's good. So we're glad about that. So why are they waking up in the middle of the night? You know, what is the pattern that's been established? What was the trigger for the pattern that is now in full force Mm -hmm. in their life? Part of that is just a little sidebar is to say that the nervous system um, is very capable of developing bad habits. Yes. Or they might have been good habits at the time. Well, habits. The nervous system likes habits. Isn't yes. that funny? I mean, it's this amazing, complex set of networks and stimuli. Right. And boy, does it like little ruts. Right. And so in treating it herbally, we'll come back to this maybe a little bit later, mm-hmm. there's kind of different strategies herbally for treating the nervous system because of that that habituation pattern. So we have this one o'clock in the morning habituation pattern, you know. When did this start? You know, mm. um, was it because that was the time the child woke? Right. And now the child's in college and the mother is still waking, <laughs> you know. Um, so obviously that pattern, it, it, you know, that ability to be alert at one o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. is no longer really serving her. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it that there's, um, you know, a pattern of low blood sugar that happens, right. which can often happen in the middle of the night is that, you know, the brain is the biggest, biggest feeder of glucose in our, in our blood. And it's very aware that blood sugars go low and very demanding when they do. Now I have this image of our brain as a hummingbird feeder. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty good, actually. So, you know, when the blood sugars fall, um, the brain will actually wake us up. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's useful for that particular pattern that we're talking about here to kind of explore what's going on during the day. Mm-hmm. You know, does that person, you know, wake hungry? precipitously hungry frequently during the day if they don't get food they feel dizzy you know are there the sort of low blood sugar you know hypoglycemic kinds of patterns going on Mm -hmm. here this is this is you know this isn't like a pathology this is like a tendency in the body right you know does that person have candida uh-huh. Is, the, is, the, is the yeast just eating all the sugar, you know, which it, it will do. Mm-hmm. It's a big feeder. Sugar is mm-hmm. food. You know, so you have to really explore all of those things. Um, aware that there's this, you know, insomnia problem that is, of course, disturbing everything about life because if we don't get good rest, 
you know. So is it more appropriate to um, treat just during the day mm-hmm. or is it more appropriate with insomnia to treat just at night? You know, I mean, I think that it depends on what the triggers are. Mm-hmm. But I often think that it's useful to know what the pattern is so that you can treat during the day. Yeah. And that it's not just about finding the largest herbal hammer to hit yourself over the head with before bed. So you don't go straight to the valerian or whatever the biggest herbal well, hammer Well, you know, is. I don't go straight to valerian hardly ever really? because of the... I've had some unfortunate experiences giving valerian. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, a remark... Valerian is a valerian root is um, a really smelly plant. Yes, oh and, boy. Is it? And, yeah, and um, it, it's a very effective sedative. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are um, people for whom we say they have a paradoxical rea- reaction to it. I have it. seen this too. And there's, it, you know, and it's like it sounds unfortunate because the outcome is so the opposite. And, and doesn't it, it's so um, objective sounding to have a, a paradoxical response to it, but when you're having that paradoxical response, yes. it's not that funny. You know, it's midnight to four and you're uh-huh. up. Uh-huh. It, it doesn't make one popular as an herbalist to have suggested <laughs> that. So, you know, if valerian seems like a good idea, and it, and it does a lot of the time because it's a f- very effective analgesic. So mm-hmm. when pain is really involved, um, then... You know, it's uh, useful, but it may also be useful and, and often used during the day as well. I mean, the oh, idea of sedatives uh-huh. being only useful at night, um, especially in pain issues, you know, you're going to be using them during the day. So if valerian seems like a, a good bet, I might have someone try it during the day and sort of notice what they notice. That's because it's going to perk them up during the day too. Yeah, and then if they find that it actually helps with the pain scenario, then we know that it might be useful Uh till at night. Good. Yeah. So, so that's that's really interesting. So, um, I had a question about um, we were talking about insomnia then, and, and you're making the point that there's all these other factors and you, you want to support the body systems that are deficient in some way and mm-hmm. then sometimes that ev- evens things mm-hmm. out. Um, I have a question about sleep apnea. <laughs> and I don't know if you deal with it too much. Not so, not so much, not but so much. it certainly, um, you know, sleep apnea is a lowering of the respiratory rate. Yes. Um, it can be for a number of reasons, either through... Um, insufficient triggers to the brain that o2 levels in the blood are going down and or or insufficient response from the brain to trigger mm-hmm. respiration mm-hmm. or you know a lot of times it's about uh, a, a larger person you know a more right. obese person can have because of the weight of their body laying down kind of cuts off airways mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that you know so there's different sort of reasons why someone would have apnea it's really striking to me that so many people have it but don't real but don't realize it or have it but don't think that it's get that it gets in the way of them when mm-hmm. you can see that they're they're actually just kind of tired or their you know mm-hmm. their response level during waking is is right. such that they they would really be benefited by dealing with it and it's mm-hmm. one of those things where I've I've talked to a few people about it um, professionals in various, you know, various ends of the spectrum of medical knowledge, and and some people will say uh, it's food allergies. If y- you need to lose some weight, 
and get an air purifier in there because there may be, you know, dust or something that's sort mm-hmm. of blocking the, the sinuses. And, right. and others would go straight to, yeah, you know, you do the surgery to take your glottis out or put the CPAP machine on your head. Or, right. So I don't, I have not yet really heard the middle ground where, you know, are there things that help, but then, you know, then if that doesn't help, then you really do need the CPAP machine or right. something. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, your first comment is, I mean, the CPAP machine, if you can adjust your sleep time to the existence of it being on right, you and right. the little clicking sounds that it makes and mm-hmm. all of that, you know, can obviously improve the quality of your daytime yes. life because yeah. you're getting sufficient oxygen. But I think that in terms of looking mm-hmm. at it structurally, that I would be, I mean, there's the whole weight issues, which are an, an aside, but I think that in terms of structurally looking at the respiratory tract and the quality of tone in the respiratory tract, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, whether there's an allergic, what I would call right. an allergic terrain uh-huh. in there where the person has a lot of allergies, mm-hmm. that would be a constitutional piece to uh-huh. treat. Um, and then there's also just what's the tone like of the mucous membranes? Now, mucous membranes are, are delightful structures in our bodies lining all of our cavities. Um, mucus cells, um, epithelial cells, uh, reproduce very fast. Mm-hmm. So in terms of respiratory issues, I'm extraordinarily hopeful about being able to influence herbally and have a sort of new generation of mucous membranes that are better behaved, um, hold their shape better, mm-hmm. do their jobs better, um, and improving the tone of the respiratory tract can be you know, would be part of like looking at the person who happened right. to have apnea. Right. And then what are the quality of the mucous membranes throughout the body? And then treating that. That is so interesting. Yes, mucous membranes are our friends. I believe mm-hmm. that to be true. But what do you mean when you say the tone of the mucous membranes? Can you sort of describe? Well, mucous membranes are meant to do various secreting jobs. Mm. Um, they're providing a, a delightful layer of slime over the respiratory tract, as they do in, in the digestive tract. Mm. And, uh, you know, the adage is the slime is your friend. Yes. And um, <laughs> so, you know, if they're not well behaved or losing their tone, they're either uh-huh. over secreting or under secreting. Uh-huh. Or, you know, if they're post infective, they're all enlarged right. and kind of boggy. Um, you see that with people with, you know, uh, sinus, recurrent sinus problems is that they're, they're, you know, they have the sinuses or bone structures in the head and they're lined with mucous membranes and it's fixed space. There's not any extra space. It doesn't flex and get bigger. And so if the mus- mucous membranes get all pudgy and kind of secreting really thick mucus, you end mm-hmm. up with this environment, this terrain in the nasal cavity, which is fertile ground for any bacteria or whatever right. to kind of populate. Hence the sinusitis. <clears throat> yep. And that whole recurring right. thing that happens yeah. Yeah. over and over and over again. So cutting those loops um, are very doable herbally mm-hmm. and treating the infections herbally and mm-hmm. toning up the mucous membranes herbally. And then again, it sounds like it would be a question of what is the constitution of this person uh, how, in terms of how to go about that. Is that correct? Well, I mean, the aspect of the constitution will be the way the mucous membranes are. I mean, that becomes a constitutional Uh piece. Um, You may see the pattern only in the respiratory tract. You may Mm -hmm. see, I mean, you've got mucous membranes in a lot of places. So, you know, so as an herbalist, I'm not just focusing on the 
mucous membranes in the respiratory tract. I'd be, mm-hmm. of course, every herbalist who gets you to sit down and talk to <laughs> to them about their um, about your health is going to be interested in your digestive process. Yeah, absolutely. As kind of you know. Those Square questions one. you hate to answer when you're doing yeah. medical history. Yeah, and that are so, you know, uh, fundamental. I mean, as herbalists, everything that we give that goes in your mouth mm-hmm. is a topical application mm-hmm. to the alimentary canal. So, you know, herbs are wonderful at healing wounds. We see that in the, in the spectacular way that they work on the skin. Well, they work in the same way on the alimentary canal. So... Um, it's, it's and plus combined with the fact the mucous membranes are reproducing, you know, turning over so quickly. We have a, a lot of way that we can make a big shift. Mm-hmm. So they're impressive mm-hmm. in terms of balancing how the digestive process right. is working, from which, you know, the rest of us depends. Right. You are what you absorb, not well, so much what you isn't eat. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I recently found out that I was deficient in some vitamin. And not that I hadn't been taking it. It just simply hadn't been absorbed. Oh, yeah. There's so, stories I've read about oh, the porta potty people when they clean out the... Oh, ow. And what's there, you know, is just all those vitamins. Yes. So oh, having digestive chutzpah is... Um, I don't know. <laughs> Digest a chutzpah. That's a good one. Let's go to a, a quick uh, music break, and then we'll come back with Gail Julian. You are listening to Dream Talk Radio on Cows. Mo for you this morning. Angelina, back here in the studio. I'm talking with Gail Julian. Gail is an herbalist of many years in Sebastopol, and uh, she also teaches at the uh, California School of Herbal Studies in Forestville. If you have questions to ask Gail about herbs and sleep and dreams and that whole um, complex of stuff that we're talking about, feel free to call into the studio, 707-874-1073. You can also reach Gail uh, through email at commonknowledge at comcast.net. Uh, that's commonknowledge. You know how to spell that, gang. Commonknowledge at comcast.net. And just put in the subject, um, the, in the header, herb question, and you will get in touch with Gail. So, welcome back. Thank you very much. <laughs> So let's let's move on to yeah I you know I feel like I want to like move from and we had this conversation about mucous membranes and that was great but <laughs> we're really talking about the nervous system here and the strategies herbally for the nervous system are very different because um, it, it's kind of interesting physiologically nerve cells regenerate the slowest of any of the cell types in our bodies. Um, so we have, you know, it kind of it sets up this this pattern. You know, you're not getting a new nerve cell that's going to have better habits. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up with the same old cell, you know, the same old person that you're having to kind of uh, assist, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it lends a, a different kind of strategy herbally. Um, I find that um, more frequent reminders are required to the nervous system. Um, we were going to talk next about anxiety. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, a, an anxious person is what I would call a sympathetic dominant person. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a part of our nervous system called the autonomic nervous system, which has two sides, sympathetic and parasympathetic. And they run all the sort of, we don't really think about it. It's not like a voluntary part of our nerve. Our, our, you know, we're not 
making this happen. These are patterns that are established and they can be established through gene pool issues. They can be established through early childhood training mm -hmm. um, or lack thereof of kindness. Um, but we can end up, sympathetic side is the fight or flight side, it's running away. Mm -hmm. And the parasympathetic side is the siege response, is the ability to really just sit and be calm and to rest and to nourish oneself. So you can mm -hmm. see they're dynamically different. And it's interesting in physiology, the way the body's wired is that all of our organs in our body are wired with both sides mm -hmm. of the autonomic. But when one is giving a message, the other one isn't. So they're mutually exclusive from each other. So here we have a nervous system that's habituated and is wired in this way. Right. So you can get into patterns easily enough in this day and age um, of sympathetic dominance, which is a more anxietous, running away, not really digesting your mm -hmm. food um, state of mind. And that's not conducive to sleep. No, that's um, I've found that to be true. <laughs> yeah. So when you when you say the parasympathetic and the sympathetic one, it's either one or the other. I'm getting this kind of image of a, the train tracks. When it, you know, if the train to Chicago is running, you know, the train to Detroit is going to be waiting. Pulled to, over on the side. Pulled over on the side. Is that some, somewhat basically what's going on? Basically what's going on. Uh -huh. um, so. Uh, looking and understanding that as a constitutional pattern, that's sort of a fundamental pattern, is to really see if someone, where they're in their autonomic system. Right. And um, you can tell that someone's sympathetic dominant because they have, they'll have digestive problems, um, and which can therefore lead to a whole realm of other problems in the rest right. of the body. I mean, you have a person who doesn't digest well, um, the rest of their body is going to tend to maybe have more inflammation or have more allergy or have more, you know, muscles, pains. I mean, you know, there's, there's sort of a whole spectrum constellation of uh, symptomology which could be recognizable there. And I found too, when, when your digestion doesn't, when you don't digest things, it happens on a metaphoric level too. It's harder to, uh, it's harder to read and understand things, you know, digest Well, hypervigilance doesn't lend to profound thinking. Yes. Um, it's more reactionary than it is um, restive. Mm -hmm. um, so getting back to the herbal approach yes. to this is that if someone has sleep problems because they are more sympathetic dominant and you know investigation has sort of discovered this then it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me to give them sort of large sedatives just at night i want to treat their nervous system throughout the day so how would you do that well that's the art of herbalism yeah. is really and and for all listening it's an art that you can uh, find out about for yourself by looking at herbs that are nervines that help to, and we'll talk just about a few of them, you know, that can maybe for you be the one that makes you calm, the one that kind of brings you more back into yourself mm -hmm. throughout the day, as well as making the distance between being awake and being asleep less vast. Mm -hmm. For the anxiolytic person, that's a big distance to get to. Um, so we want to kind of bring it down a little bit during the day. I'm not saying that it'll make you sleepy all day because one of the beauties, I think, of herbalism is this range of dosing that we have because we can have a sip of tea 
we can have a cup of tea. If we're drinking Nervines in tea form, therapeutic dose, and if you could see my hands, I'm making little quotation marks around that, which means like meaningful, we're getting a lot of constituents yes. going into the body, is three cups of tea a day. Uh-huh. When you you know, go down to the herb store and you buy tinctures and you're looking at, say, the herb farm, which mm-hmm. is a great product line. You know, you're looking at, the, can I do that? Oh, yeah, Okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> you're looking at their bottles. They're going to mm-hmm. say 30 to 40 drops or something like that. That's a therapeutic dose. Mm-hmm. So you have this range of dosing from a sip of tea or a drop of tincture up to whatever sort of the therapeutic dose of the herb that you're dealing right. with. And... So I really invite people to try a Nervine. Try it at full bore therapeutic dose. See what mm-hmm. that's like. Mm-hmm. Try taking it uh, just uh, these small drops every 20 minutes, a couple of drops of a tincture under the tongue. Then the nervous system responds and goes, oh, calm. But it forgets pretty quickly. Yeah. So in another 20 another drop. You know, I mean, it's kind of to you bringing it out. Maybe it's you know, every time you're changing your activity mm-hmm. in your life. You know, you you went into the store, you did the errand, the shopping, and you go back out into the car. Now you're going to drive the car. So you just take a moment and you just take a few, you know, those restorative calming breath thing, right. you know, that grounding energy kind of, and a little drop of the tincture and kind of go, okay, now I'm doing this. Because one of the problems about anxietous perspectives is the hypervigilance, the awareness of every single thing. Right. You know, everything you just did, everything you're going to do, and everything everybody in your family is doing at the same time. You know, so you have to bring it down. And that's a really good point because vigilance is good. Being aware of the things that we need to be aware of is good. But when you've got it cranked up to 20 instead of, you know, 10 would be mm. as bad as much as the human nervous system can stand. If you're constantly mm. on overload, you're out of yourself and you're not actually attending to, to what's the most important. And therein lies one of the hooks of all this, is that people who are sympathetic dominant and hypervigilant, there's a gray area of being in their trip. Uh-huh. before it, the trip kind of now is ruining their sleep pattern and other things. Right. So we get used to our stress patterns. They work for us. They are our identity. And so sometimes there's a little bit of a moment of like, oh, my God, I'm not as sharp. Right. You know, where they're defining their hypervigilance as, as sharpness. Mm-hmm. But your friends like you so much more now. <laughs> Sorry. It's very good. (laughs) You're so much more pleasant to be around. It's all about that inner inner terrain that's going on between your ears, you know. Hypervigilance is such a phenomenon. The gerbil's going wild. Gerbil's gone wild. What a great video series that was. So so I like I like blue verbane. I like verbena of you know, either aficionados or hastata. Um, this is not lemon verbena, don't confuse that. Uh Um, it's kind of a a little bit of a bitter tea. Um, but just in drop doses for calming down the, you know, another term you've used on the air here is monkey mind yes. or, you know, that kind of hypervigilant um, mind. And just give yourself a break, you know. And, it, and I, I would actually speculate that if you did those kind of nervings sort of throughout the day, that over time you would find that you slept better at night. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the list-making thing, that gerbil thing, the monkey mm-hmm. mind thing, I think verbena is really wonderful. Flower essence of white chestnut has a strong reputation for that as well. And I would recommend people starting with, you know, a therapeutic dose of verbena and sort of allowing their body to really feel the difference. Um, some people can go straight to low-dose kinds of what are we going to call it? Some people call them spirit doses. Some people call them energetic doses. You know, that one or two drops of right, tincture. Right, I, I think of it as, as, actually, I think it's very therapeutic, you know. Uh-huh. It's just not a lot of molecules. Right. Um, but it's a lot of what the plant is about. You were saying before the idea of bringing a plant in and putting yes. it by your bedtime, uh-huh. the ultimate in the homeopathic yes. dose <laughs> is just being really near. I mean, how much calmer we feel when we're out in nature. It's about that. Uh-huh. It's a low dose of that calming our nervous system. So strategies around looking at the nervous system are fundamental, I think, to any kind of herbal approach. Finding the appropriate nerving for a person is part of the art of herbalism. Yes. So we had vervain that works really well for the sort of chatter in the mind and, and easily can be taken during the day. Some people really like oats. Oats. You know, oats mm-hmm. has a strong reputation in Western mm-hmm. herbalism. Um, and, we're, you know, there's the oats in the field and that whole milky top tincture yeah. aspect. And we can use that in the sort of our, our low-dose kind of approach. There's certainly oats that we can make tea of the mm-hmm. tops or the straw, and it's very affordable. Um, there's oatmeal. I, I'm not so fond of the microwavable, but, you know, <laughs> sort of the long-term yeah. kind of oats yeah. as a food um, actually is very good for the nervous system oh, in terms of calming the nervous system. So, um, so that's certainly a strategy uh, that could work really well. Um, Oatmeal obviously has, you know, a commercial oatmeal has problems for mm-hmm. gluten intolerance, so may right. not be the nervine first to choose. Right. You know, California poppy uh-huh. is a delightful nervine. I mean, it, here's a nervine that 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 is useful for children as well yeah. as for adults. Yeah. Um, I have to stop and say that uh, I was about to quote Michael Moore. Oh, <laughs> and um, I just wanted to say that I quote Michael Moore often and that I miss him now. He passed last Friday. And um, so he pops into my mind and into my conversation so frequently. Michael Moore, the herbalist. Okay. I was yeah. getting. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> Wait a second. I did. So people in the herb world okay. know him, oh. uh, the grandfather oh, of our Western herbalism um, down in Bisbee, Arizona. Um, but he talks about using California poppy as for uh, as a nighty night for cl- kids who have been too long at the fair, uh-huh. who now glow in the dark and run around in circles screaming. <laughs> and I've actually done that. We give them one or two drops of, and they just you know drop like flies. You know they just drop down and right to sleep. Um, well, that's so a wonderful plant. It- and it's the, I, I mean, poppy in general, this is really a sidetrack, which we probably won't go off on too much, but it's very confusing to know what you can grow, what you can harvest because of all the legal issues with poppies in general. Oh, um, yeah, so California poppy is the state flower of California yes. and a roadside pick it is not because yes. that's against the law that's for state right. flowers. Um, if you grow them in your backyard, you can harvest oh. them without 
impunity. And then there's all the other poppies, which it's illegal to do some things with because they're... The bread seed poppies, yes. the uh, quote-unquote opium poppies. Right. Um, you can... I, and oh, I, I don't really know. Let me say, what I think it is, is that you can grow them, but you can't do anything to them. So California poppy. Yeah, so, and it, well, the opium poppy we were talking okay. about, you know, uh, it's against the law to do any processing to the to the buds, uh, do any scoring mm -hmm. of the buds or doing anything like that where you're beginning to get uh, uh, that medicine, uh, you know, which is a, a really strong pain reliever. Right. Um, but it is, it is illegal. So if manicure. people want to try uh, California poppy for their children... That's and fine. Is it the tops? Is it the leaves? Is it the... Um, what I would probably do for the kids because um, all parts of the plant are really bitter. So compliance with tea with children is going to be really mm -hmm. thin. Tough. I would get a tincture. Uh, and again, Herb Farm, I know, has a good mm -hmm. quality one. And uh, I would, you know, put a couple of drops into a little, you know, bit of water or something to hide the taste probably because even water right. would be bitter. Right. And try to slide it in that way. Good. Great. Always useful mm -hmm. things for kids. The, the, other, the other part of the dosing thing is the use of homeopathics of these plants, um, where you're actually buying those, you know, the, those renderings of the medicine, which are, you know, obviously the ultimate in dilution. Um, so we've talked about cups of tea and, and, and sips of tea, therapeutic dose of tincture and right. drops of tincture. And then at the you know the other side of the homeopathic and, and the really low dosing is certainly a strategy i mean like for chamomile yeah chamomile is one of those nervines that that probably should be explored first yes you know right. um certainly a remedy for any kind of digestive problems a strong anti-inflammatory very calming a little cup of Oh, you know, traditional medicinals has that lovely uh, chamomile lavender tea mm, mm -hmm. that just, you know, kind of can tip people over into a more calm evening. You know, I think making that separation in the, at the end of the day that now we've, the, the activity is now kind of changing. We are looking, the sun went down, folks, you right. know, just because we have electricity doesn't mean we have to stay up all night, you know. So um, appreciating the rhythms of the day and the rhythms of the season, um, I think, are, are extremely useful. So what we do in the evening after we've had our supper, you know, and how we approach bedtime and the idea of having a nice little cup of a Nervine tea, perhaps, unless it's going to get you up in the middle of the night to pee too much, but... There is that that fine balance. Yeah. And the other strat, you know, do you take a hot bath before you go? I mean, there are all these things. I'm sure, you know, the lavender essential oil, the, you know, the being sure you go from a well-lit room into a darker room. Right. Using your bedroom for sleeping and intimacy. All only. that sleep hygiene. The laying stuff, in bed yes. and, you know, not watching TV in a darkened room. You know, and those are all triggers to appropriate endocrine function, which is... You know, another big piece here. Our stress responses are not just nervous system, but they're neuroendocrine. You know, the idea that the nervous system is totally separate from the endocrine system is a little too reductionistic for, I think, more holistic practitioners. They really see how they, how those systems interact in terms of those are the ways we, with the immune system, that we control our body, right. this whirlwind, and maintain our homeostasis. Right. 
So, you know, in the going the, the light to dark trigger, of course, through the hypothalamus pineal gland is about making melatonin when it gets dark. You know, some people will have, you know, winter depression because that trigger works really well and they end up with so much melatonin that they're a little fuzzy uh-huh. all the time. Yeah, so melatonin for them would not be a good thing. Well, they're but... probably not having any problems sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> But on those occasions when they do, you might want to do something different if there's right. an excess right. of melatonin being produced. Another endocrine gland that's interwoven here is the thyroid gland. You know, as the as the pineal moves into making melatonin, the melatonin uh, helps to suppress the thyroid function during the night. So, um, thyroid function is thyroid hormones are kind of the the energy source for our cells. They improve our cells' respiration. I mean, the mm-hmm. the metabolic rate, the the little push-ups that are happening inside the cells in your body goes up when thyroid's up. Thyroid's up during the day. Some people can feel it when they first wake up. Mm-hmm. They sort of feel the pilot light come on, you know, the right. furnace, <laughs> you know, and that's their thyroid kicking in, you know, so... The thyroid's kind of asleep during the night. We were talking during yeah. break about, you know, um, the recalibration of the endocrine system yes, in menopause. Uh-huh. You know, uh, the loss of uh, ovarian hormonal donations um, to the bloodstream cause repercussions in the in the endocrine system because uh, the master gland, the hypothalamus, and the pituitary master glands never really figure that out, and so they keep commanding that the ovaries make their hormones. And, and so the, that sort of sleep disturbance that can happen in the night for women in menopause or after menopause, mm-hmm. menopause just being that day where you haven't had your period for a year. Um, <laughs> so everything after that is, you know, post-menopause. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that you can have a disturbance in the night because the thyroid gland kind of wakes up in the night because there's all this other hormonal commands going to the ovaries that aren't responding in the thyroid gland wakes up and goes oh you mean me and kind of gives us a bunch of thyroid hormone that either just wakes us up or gives us one little colossal hot flash in the middle of the night Uh, so it's worth looking at you know wait it's not like a thyroid disease at all it's about the this recalibration of the conversation right the thyroid gland getting used to the fact that there's all these other hormones, kind of the FSH is up and, and mm-hmm. screaming and will be. And will be. Because, forever. Because there's no follicles to stimulate. FSH well, no, follicles there's follicles, stimulate. but they're not stimulating. But they're they're not, not responding. Yeah, they're not no making. ovarian action. Right, yeah. right. So there's, you know, that kind of, you know, uh, uh, looking at herbs that, you know, if, if you suspicion that it's a thyroid storm, one of the ways to kind of uh, look at that herbally is before bed to take some bugleweed tincture. Bugleweed? Bugleweed. Lycopis uh, virginicus or Europeans, huh. um, which is, uh, again, our firm makes it. Uh-huh. I'm glad to be promoting them. <laughs> um, but you can, you know, just take a, a dropper full or, or two maybe before bed. Mm-hmm. And if the hot flashes stop or the sleep disruption stops, then you know that, you know, it's just a thyroid, a transient right. thyroid issue. Again, not 
a disease. Let's not, not a get, disease. It's just one of those just, surges it, of thyroid in the middle yeah, of the night that's yeah. creating a hot flash. Exactly. Because everything else is mm-hmm. in flux. Mm-hmm. I mean, people who have thyroid disease, who have hyperthyroidism, uh-huh. um, have issues all the time. Right. You know, during the day. It's not just a nocturnal right. event. You know, and they're, and they're more severe, and they would know that. Yes. So you mentioned a few herbs. Do you want to talk more about... Well, sure. Talk about all this function. You need to talk about the herbs. Yeah. You know, the um, issues around pain and around hypervigilance and hypersensitivity, I think, is where I want to go next, is that... Um, you know, the, a person can have a low pain threshold um, because their nervous system picks up on every little tiny bit mm-hmm. of, you know, input coming in. And so um, one of the tonics, major tonics in, in Western herbalism for the nervous system is skullcap. <laughs> sounds like a terrible... Skullcap, yeah. Sometimes if I say like that's its common <laughs> name. Uh, scutellaria, we could call it instead. And this is the Western type. This is not Chinese skullcap, which is a different species, which is scutellaria bicolensis. This is scutellaria laterifolia. Um, and as, you know, for that sort of person who has a high startle reflex uh-huh. who would loud sounds coming up from behind kind of they jump greatly or for whom they have very tactile kind of responses to uh, discomfort who have trouble with their clothing because it's too itchy um, or who have chronic pain issues um, so skullcap as a it you know it, it, I think it you know, works on the nervous system, on the more calming side of the mm-hmm. pain response, um, and just brings down, it, it would be useful for hypervigilance as well, for a sympathetic dominant mm-hmm. type person, but also for this issue around pain. And um, so I like Skullcap a lot for that. Um, again, a bitter herb. Right. Here's another nerving that's a bitter. I think right. it's so interesting the way, because bitter as a taste is... Um, stimulating to the parasympathetic nervous system. So we have therapeutic tastes also. I like bitter herbs. Yeah. I just, oh man. And maybe it's because I've had a life full of be- having a sweet tooth. <laughs> bitter herbs mm-hmm. are really nice. But yeah. Well, you know, one of the things about dealing with sweet tooth and sweet cravings and things like that is the use of bitters. Um, that if you are currently craving the cookie, uh, that if you take bitter. a drop of a bitter plant, it will encourage you to crave protein rather than sweet. Oh, that's interesting. So it changes your enzymatic the mind chemical. in a way. Um, so it's a, a part of a useful strategy for, you know, getting that habit mm-hmm. under control. Mm-hmm. Lavender is a wonderful oh, yeah. herb. You know, I mean, in all of its various forms. Um, aromatherapy is really interesting um, topic because... You know, you have the, the herb and, and, you know, when we take it, we are taking the uh, 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 essential oils. So we're, you know, using those. Um, yeah. But often scents have a strong association with previous lifetime experiences. Uh-huh. Oh, that's so true. You know, so we, we all know how we feel about, you know, the smell of rose or the smell yes. of lavender. Yes. Uh, but for some of us, it may not be a good association. So 
any reference to herbs that you know have an aromatherapy principle to them need to be taken or not taken as the case may be in terms of what they trigger for you mm-hmm. but lavender is a wonderful antispasmodic herb you know we may not be sleeping because we're working our stress pattern to the point where we're so fight or flight that our muscles are like ready to leave. We're yeah. ready to run. So we have this strong tension in our skeletal muscles, which is, you know, wonderful to get a massage. I mean, right. that can really help. Um, but we need to look at herbs that perhaps are, have more antispasmodic kind of, you know, skeletal muscle antispasmodics right. that are going to really help to ease the, the body in that way. Interesting. So even if we're working on a, a pulled muscle or something that we're trying to relax, lavender might be good to just help ease that. Sure. Uh, lavender, um, uh, there's the, you know, cramp bark is a famous uh, herb for, you know, spasm. Um, uh, lobelia, although it's dreadful tasting, you know, and is a, a, an herb for which therapeutic dose is about five drops. Wow. Um, so it's a very strong plant. Um, very useful. We have, you know, the particularis that grows and is going to be blooming here in, in the in the woods very soon. Is a a, a good skeletal muscle relaxer. Um, so working with those herbs and not so much in such high doses that you're asleep during the day, right? But also just to sort of counter this stress pattern that you've got going on. Yes. Uh, because the sympathetic dominant person usually has that kind of tension. And so we have to address it as well. And we're living in a time, I I think this is such a pertinent show to be uh, having on the air right now, because because we're living in a time where we're all sort of those frogs in the warm water that's slowly being jacked up and and getting hotter and hotter. You know, just the economic stress, the drag on everybody's resources and finances is just, you don't notice the gradual piling up of stress and anxious mm-hmm. responses that are happening. Right. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, there's another herb that, um, that you see uh, homeopathically and in the realm of flower essences, which is something we haven't talked about right. yet. Uh, flower essences are more energetic medicines. Uh, again, in this very low-dose realm um because basically a flower essence is just you know the flowers placed in a in water Mm -hmm. um in in the sun uh uh, near the plant that they were picked from preferably and uh you know so it's like a sun tea Uh that's then preserved with some brandy and and uh, it's very thoughtfully made now these are intentional medicines Mm -hmm. i think is probably the best way to describe them um, and uh, so the one that sparks me to go into this topic of flower essences, although all these flowers fall in that, in this realm. I mean, you could do the vervain that we talked about initially, the blue vervain in a flower essence and find it very effective, um, is bleeding heart, hmm. you know? Um, so this is for, you know, post-traumatic stress. Oh, good. So this helps people get back into their, you know, when we have, you know, kind of stress, we tend to, and parts of us leave our body. Yes. You know, however Sometimes you, for years on end. Indeed. And so finding ways to, to pull someone back down into their body um, is part of the, you know, 
part of the, the what bleeding heart is really um, helping us with. Yeah. And so flower essences, um, you know, you can easily make them yourself. Um, they're certainly, a, they're very popular now. I've noticed them. I mean, there are a number of different, really excellent brands. Um, FES, that's our local Nevada City, California business, which is lovely, and they have they have lovely, um, you know, day classes, weekend classes up there to go up and see their gardens. And, mm. and I think it would be very calming nice. to do that. Yeah. Um, they're a, a lovely flower essence, I'm not one, but flower essence practitioners here in, 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 um, in, uh, in Sebastopol and the area to consider looking at, at that as a strategy for trying to, you know, deal with the the fears with the, you know, it's states of mind right. are so well addressed by um, flower essences and given the intimacy that I think everyone accepts now between the mind-body continuum, you know, the That's idea right. that our states of mind and and the quality of our physical health are so intertwined. That's right. They become really um, useful. And, and I use flower essences in, in my practice, but I, I'll, I'll often just put them right into the tincture blend. Oh, interesting. You know, just a couple of drops into the sort of... So you can mix essences and tinctures. I, I find it useful. Somehow had not ever... You know, because it's, it's about your attitude, and it goes yeah. back to that idea of change, you know, and how we kind of hold on to the way we... Our stress patterns right. and our... You know, so if we just have that, you know, we're still in... We're still kind of in the same place... But we've just kind of swiveled a little bit and we're looking at it out from it a yes. little bit differently. So it allows us to have a change of attitude. And um, I've found that to be a way that, you know, way that I work with it. You know? It would be so interesting to, uh, because I believe that these, uh, you know, any change in attitude in our waking life is also mirrored in our dream life. And particularly, I've been uh, working with a, a few people who have chronic nightmares. And as adults, having chronic nightmares is is rather uncommon. And it's, I you know, I think it's traceable back to all sorts of the constitutional stuff we have been talking about. But anything that can adjust uh, the you know the the nerve sensitivity in waking life, I think, has a tremendous impact on the quality of our dreams. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um. Certainly, there's some herbs that are said to promote dreaming. Mugwort, I'm Mugwort, sure you've yes. talked or... Not good for getting a good night's sleep, though. No, not really. And if somebody has <laughs> nightmares, to not take it, to not, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. You want yeah. to sort of shut down that little... Yeah. And valve. the whole dream pillow for the child should probably not include mugwort. Yes. <laughs> Keep them with the lavender and chamomile at that stage. Yes, exactly. So um, other herbs that often come up... Um, uh, passion flower often mm -hmm. comes up. It's, you know, because of this sort of uh, issues around valerian, right. <laughs> I find that the first remedy that I usually offer someone is a combination of California poppy and passion flower. I mean, clearly, if someone comes in and it's all about what, you know, about insomnia, this is the big deal, you know, although I'm doing the constitutional work, mm -hmm. that may take longer. Yeah. So it um, behooves me to, you know, of course, give them something to take before right. bed. Right. And uh, so I'm, I have a little combination that I'm currently working with is, you know, California poppy tincture and passion flower combined with some of that verbena. Mm -hmm. And then like a drop of the white chestnut. Interesting. Um, flower essence in it but the passion flower 
um, was one of the first nervings that I actually experienced myself because my sleep pattern, imbalance pattern was that I would go to sleep and then I would do the one o'clock. The one, yeah. You know, the one o'clock, you know, for the child Mm -hmm. and become so fully awake that, you know, or it's the one o'clock because you have to get up to pee. Right. You know, I mean, here's another issue, you know, nocturia, you know, and all things around urinary tract function are something that could be worked on constitutionally to That's try to right. reduce that. But, but anyway, this whole idea that, that whatever task it is that you're getting up to do, that you'd be able to do that task and return to bed and return to sleep is the mm-hmm. goal. And this is where passion flower seems to be a useful mm-hmm. plant. Not so much to be taken when you've gotten up and gotten awake, but to take it before you go to sleep. Uh-huh. That, that it kind of keeps, yeah, road, yeah, it just kind of keeps the lid on the sleep. Okay, you get up, you go pee, you go back to bed and right back to sleep. Uh-huh. And so I, I'm liking, I'm liking that mm. plant a lot. Um, so, you know, I would just recommend that, um, uh, you know, there, there's a term in, in herbalism called simpling, the art of simpling, which yes. is, you know, doing uh, one herb at a time. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's an excellent way to learn about plants, you know. So I would recommend that people, you know, start with chamomile. Right. Um, you know, do oats, um, uh, have an experience with the vervain, but do them individually and just sort of notice what you notice. Take them with intention. Mm-hmm. You know, take a moment to sip the tea. I mean, we are, we're such a go, go, go kind of culture. Um, that, you know, if we can just take a moment and a few breaths and take a, a plant and sort of then notice, oh, how that, where it relaxed in our body and how yes. maybe how it is that we feel calm. Um, because there are different qualities of calm, aren't oh, there? Oh, absolutely. Many, many different colors. And of not calm. all nervines are perfect for all people. That's right. Uh, out at Herb School, we, we do nervine tastings in class oh. where we'll have blind bottles of tincture, you know, I mean, they're just numbered. I know, but they don't know. And the whole room takes a drop in kind of a meditative way, multiple bottles out in the classroom. And the whole room will take a drop of a single plant Mm -hmm. and then sit with it for a moment and then take some notes. And we'll do, you know, we'll do four of them. And it's like this, Mm. it's, you know, the whole room is changed four times because everybody's taking this plant. Wow. And then when we review them, they, the responses are very mixed Oh, loved the milky oat, you know, loved it, loved it. Ooh, no, I didn't love you know. It's very, very interesting. And I would venture to also say that your response to herbs will change based on kind of where you're at at the time, too. Yes. There are plants definitely that I've grown that I didn't like when I first started in herbalism. I didn't like the way they feel mm-hmm. and that now work well for me. Isn't age and maturity a wonderful thing? <laughs> oh, there's the upside. All sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And and again, with the dosing, um, uh, you know, you don't need as much herbs. That's right. You know, I think that that if we allow ourselves to really play within the sort of dosing idea between strong therapeutic dose and 
and more uh, intentional doses, lighter doses, um, we not only serve ourselves, but we also serve the plant community by not using as much. That's right. You know, I don't want to have a lot of plant guilt put out there because so much of this can be cultivated and is very sustainable. Yes, I was just thinking we have to stop pretty soon, but as you were talking about the plants, I was thinking skullcap, yeah, I tried to grow that and the deer demolished it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the pl- passion flower vine. Boy, the deer love that thing. They just mm-hmm. <laughs> but but there is a way that you can get these things to grow. Yes, and, there and, is done. Yes. And um, a lot of these herbs are available through the Sonoma County Herb Exchange. Oh, good. Yes, let's um, plug which them is too. a part of the Sonoma County Herb Association. Um, I think during the winter they they may not have opened up, but during the growing season. Um, Oh, I think the number is 8241447. Oh my gosh. But you can certainly they have a good. presence online. So it's the Sonoma County Herb Association mm-hmm. website. And then you go into the Herb Exchange and they have plant lists there of all the plants that they have growers growing. And then you can order uh, fresh plant. They have some dried, but it's mostly a way to get fresh plant material of excellent oh, quality. Wonderful. It's wonderful for the medicine makers yes. around here. I know I buy from them a lot. Great. This has been such a fascinating conversation. I'm going to have to have you back and talk more in depth about just anything because, I mean... Well, we didn't even talk about liver function yet. We didn't even... Exhibit A, we didn't even mention liver function. How can we stop this conversation? So uh, I have been talking with Gail Julian, a local herbalist. And uh, if you want to contact Gail, you can reach her... Uh, through the California School of Herbal Studies, which I think probably has CSHS.com. CSHS.com is the Herbal Studies School. And uh, at that website, there are uh, listings of classes. Um, Our school year starts in March and goes through November. Um, We do have some evening classes in town now during the winter. Um, but uh, I invite you to go and look. How convenient. That's just next month. So anybody yes. who's interested could actually still probably register. Yes. Fabulous. And you can reach Gail uh, via email at commonknowledge at comcast.net. Uh, my name is Ann Hill. You've been listening to Dream Talk Radio. That ends this week's Dream Talk Radio Show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.